BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit. This is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Conan, Dennis Dick with you this morning. Who wants to buy the dip? That's my question for all you. We are down this morning. We'll talk about why. We'll talk about the implications. We do have some individual news as well. Uh, all earnings related, related for the most part, Fastly. Uh, Morgan Stanley, United Airlines. So we'll get to those as well. Not much really in the way of ratings, but it's going to be like a macro theme kind of show uh, and earnings. And we'll get to our chat. Uh, Mark Chaikin is our guest. Well, we have two guests today. Mark Chaikin will be our first guest. We'll be on at 8.15. And then at 9, I'll be joined by uh, Yoni Asai and also Jason Rasnick. Uh, our boss will join me on this interview. Yoni is the CEO of eToro. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what they're doing uh, and, and their brokerage and, and their trading and what makes what makes them unique. That'll be at nine, though. A lot to get to in the eight o'clock hour. Joel, I'll throw it to you. Uh, tell us about this market here because we are down, like I said. Uh, good morning, Spencer. Good morning, investors. Uh, rough morning here on Wall Street, and uh, took a little while to react, I guess, to the Fastly news. Uh, crept higher just before Dennis shut things down at 8 o'clock. We were trading in the green, got it to 86.50. I was hoping for those uh, pair of lows in the same area at 91, 91.50. wasn't there. Got a pre-market low at 33.75. Really nothing there. Trading 10 points off the low at 34.42. We'll have to dig for some support from earlier in the month on the downside. Uh, crude going with the market down to buck fifty at thirty nine fifty four. Uh, gold no flight to safety here. That's down eleven twenty at eighteen ninety six twenty. And silver that's down forty eight cents at twenty three point nine one five. And Bitcoin Bitcoin's down sixty dollars at eleven thousand three hundred and fifty. Let's bring in Triple D. Uh, a different picture than when you shut things down at. Uh, at eight o'clock yeah and i was very surprised i was leaning short because i was like man how is this market going up when fastly and all of growth tech is getting destroyed so obviously we had the fastly news we'll talk about that in a second 
That was the news that came out just after four o'clock, and they did hit the queues, but they decided they still wanted to buy the S&Ps, and they wanted to buy the IWM, and there was some obvious rotation that was happening there. But S&Ps were trading up five points despite Fastly being down 28%. And I'm like, man, this math doesn't add up. So I was trying to lean short. I did lean short. Usually I hedge overnight, but I was like, I'm going to lean short because I don't understand what's going on. But you know, sometimes the market's just irrational. Apparently it was. And all of a sudden they decided, no, oh my goodness, Fastly, four hours later. So they start selling off. Obviously, you know, Europe didn't help. And obviously cases of increasing over in Europe didn't help either. But I got to think like when the fasting and the growth techs fall like that, that eventually the S&Ps are going to cave and they did. Yeah, they did. And, uh, you know, you had a couple different uh, segments. It wasn't like a, <clears throat> a 30 point, you know, bar uh, that we whooshed down. It was just kind of, you know, take it down 10, 12, take it down 10, 12, and then, you know, hang out for a little bit. So, there are some buyers out here. We're only we're only ten points, nine points off the low of the session. So I, th I think we got some more, a little bit more work to do on the downside. I'm looking on the dailies, and uh, you actually don't have another daily low, a true daily low until the October eighth low at thirty four oh five fifty. One intraday low in between there. Uh, but you know, as always in this market, that's gonna you know, there's gonna be some rips. There's gonna be some dips here. I'd like to see mid range on the session, maybe for a little bit uh, lower risk short. That would be thirty four fifty five. But let's talk about that culprit that's uh, wreaking chaos here on the markets. Yeah. I, I think it's a confluence of, of factors. I think you know, there, there's no one reason. What's going on in Europe, like Dennis said, is definitely not helping. Uh, I would assign blame to that first. The fact that Paris is now, uh, has a curfew again. Cases are rising all over Europe, France, Italy, Germany, the UK. UK is flirting with, uh, you know, going back in, in, into lockdown, as is Germany. Uh, and Europe it has surpassed uh, the U.S. in terms of rate of new cases. Now, new deaths aren't rising along with that, but it's definitely, you know, weighing on sentiment here this morning. And that's one factor. The other factor is probably just, hey, the fact that nothing goes straight up, we're basically at all-time highs, more or less. And at the same time, we're still kind of range-bound as we head into this election. So nothing goes straight up. And, you know, I I'm not particularly alarmed today. It is notable that we're down the way we are. What spies down almost 1%, but probably a confluence of factors. You've got rising cases in Europe. And, and more lockdowns there. You've got just range-bound trading as we head into in, into election. That's sort of my take on the weakness this morning. And then the Fastly news is driving down tech, for lack of a You know what? This thing's not bouncing, Dennis. What's the Fastly news still, though? Let's get uh, the news. Go ahead. The, the, news, the Fastly news is their earnings, mm -hmm. uh, which I didn't even realize, to be honest. was They weren't on the schedule, I don't think. Um, oh, you know why? It's because oh, it's, it's guidance. Not, not earnings. It was guidance. guidance. That's why. They cut their sales guidance for the quarter. They lowered their sales guidance. Uh, they didn't lower it by much, uh, but they lowered it enough for the stock to fall 30%. Wow. And the reason it, they cut it is they cited uh, lower demand from their top customer. Yep. Who, who is their top customer? It's the owners of TikTok. It's ByteDance. Uh, it fastly provides the technology for, for ByteDance and for TikTok and as far as the speed of the app is concerned. So I guess they're fastly saying less people are using TikTok because demand is lower. And they didn't specifically call out TikTok by name, but we know from previous quarters that they're uh, Fastly's largest customer. 
So lower demand from the largest customer. As a result, cut guidance this morning. We have some precedents here. And I'm going to bring it to AYX. I knew Yep. Yep. Because obviously cloud play, stock, cut guidance. And it took the better part of two months before they actually had a guidance raise. Yeah. That brought them out of it. Um, does Fastly take two months to get it back? Does it continue to leak after? I'd always say I don't like buying on day one. I don't like buying on the first day because I want to see where the washout, you know, I want to see stabilization before I just randomly come in and buy the dip. But I know it worked with AYX and I actually was one of the first to buy the dip in AYX. And I had, I got punished for that because I had bought it at 114 and the stock continued to go down into the low 100s. So if you're too early, sometimes, you know, you can get, you got to have some pain in it. It did end up working out um, obviously in the guidance raise, but I don't know. If you're coming on the first day, we're not seeing a lot of life in the pre-market or after-hour session, Joel. It continues to leak, and we're trading near the session lows. I, I would say you have fantastic support down there, 78 to 80. That's where you really found July, August, September. So about eight, eight points down from here. I would maybe start nibbling if you're interested in this. But again, these growth stories with these ridiculous multiples, when the growth slows or they want about the growth, they hammer them. And that's, you know, you're buying growth and they're hammering it. Now, just real quick, I'm, I'm just, AYX, I know, I know Jeremy talked about that one as, as well. So here in August, they gave bad guidance. And then they flip and give good guidance here in October. I know, it's ridiculous. I mean, come on, give me a break. Do they know what the hell's going on at the company? I think I they mean, just want to get their stock higher. If, I mean that. I can, me- if, if I can play devil's advocate for sure. a moment, it's it's. I think it's a little hard in this environment to sort of figure out what the hell is going on with your business, right? Everything is so in flux. Everything from supply chains to just cons- consumer demand is in flux. I- I'll cut them some slack this year and this year only, only because it's such a messed up year. Okay. All right. Well. It's just sitting on the lows of the pre-market session. You can look at it two ways. You can look at it as, hey, some buyers stepping up here, right, at the 87.50 area, being very patient with what they're buying. On the other hand, they're getting all the stock they want there. Someone is not letting this thing up for air. So we'll keep an eye on that pre-market low at 86.05. And what do you got on the dailies? You got anything in the dailies there? Uh I see 85.43. I think the only way you're going to catch this one, if you want to be long or cover short, I think you just, you got to, you got to layer it. You got to put, you know, you, you know, okay. They take out 86, throw some out there at 85. Okay. They take out 85, throw some out there at 84 and 83, 82. And you know, that's if you're trying to cover. You mean averaging in because yeah, it's going to be so I, difficult to call where the bottom is. So yeah, if you exactly. want it, don't, that's what Kramer always says. Don't buy all your chunk at once because you know, who knows where it's going. And then if it comes down, you buy more. I'm not a fan of that. I'm like, if you want in the stock, buy the stock. If you don't want in the stock, don't buy the stock. I never average in probably because I'm a glass half empty type of guy. And I would say, well, why didn't I buy more if it went up? And in the other case, I'd say, why did I buy it at all if it went down? So I find that I, I'm mad either way when I do that. So I go in or I go out. It's just my style. Yeah, but um, you're 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 trading for your you know your own account. You're trading excise position. You want to hedge with you know. I, 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 the reason I was I was mentioning that is like if you're like, what if you came in, you were short 
10,000 shares, you know, you just want to throw a bet out there at 86. So different styles. I totally if you agree. You were short 10,000 yeah. shares. I'd be lifting the offer. You know, like you got a 30% fall overnight. I mean, it'd be a completely different animal. Like I was saying, I think it could go down to 80 bucks. But if I was short it, you're going to sit around for the last six bucks knowing the mentality of the buy the dip in this, in this, in this market, how strong the mentality has been. So, and one I, thing I know you always talk about if you were short, if you were short, um, What's it, short it, that's, that's the prop big. trader in you. The majority of people are not short fastly. The majority of our <laughs> listeners, like I, I would doubt there's hardly any listeners. There's going to be a couple. Hey, chat, is anyone short fastly out there or was short fastly before this move? If you were, congratulations. But it's just not a lot of traders. One, it was still in rocket ship mode. Yeah, it had a bad candle the day before. But there's just not a lot of, you know, a lot of traders don't short stocks. So I think there's a lot of traders that are burned on this. I think, I believe, um, you know, Kramer obviously was talking the stock up for the last few days. He, he mentioned it as early as yesterday. I guess it was uh, our friend Portnoy was calling it fistly because it was just going straight up like this. And I don't know if he got out or if he sold or anything, but... I would imagine there's some people really caught long this thing right now. Like some, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of and that's what you can see. Long. Yeah, you can see just buried down. Uh, so if you're me. in this, this is yep. the lesson, Joel. If you are in this and you were caught long it, you know what do you do now? I will gather that the majority of people would not take the loss. I personally, if I'm in something for a trade and it gaps down 27% on me, I usually eat the loss. I mean, because I, it's, it's through where my stop was, you know, it's like, it's bad luck that, yeah, it wasn't reported. And maybe you're like, okay, I'm going to lean on 120. Well, now it's 89. I can't sell it now because my stop, I can't lose 30 points on this. So I just got a hold. So I, I don't know the way I, I, I've had stocks gap down on me 30% before and I eat the loss and I move on. And this is why. You stay diversified in your trading portfolio because if you're all in on margin, all in one stock and fastly, and the shit hits the fan, which it just did last night, you're you're in a world of pain. So you stay diversified and you're fine. I mean, if you're all cloud, a cloud is all slammed here this morning because of this. But um, and 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 the other thing is, if you're coming and buying the dip, I've learned the hard way that buying the dip on day one usually doesn't work. Usually it's day two or day three where they finally wash everybody out because every time this tries to come back now, you got people saying, oh, I need to get my money back. You know, there's a lot of pain in this all of a sudden. There was no pain in it three days ago, and now it's all pain. That, that's the change of sentiment. Uh, you know what? And the, tell me if this is a stretch here for a stock to look at it at the short side. Who did Oracle? How, is, how could this be good for Oracle? Of TikTok is slowing? Yeah. I, I don't know. We're reaching to say it's their customer. I mean, Oracle is a completely different animal here too because Oracle is not a growth stock. It's value tech. Oracle is not going to get slammed 30% any day because it's value tech. So it's highly unlikely. Like that's the thing about trading these kind of stocks. And, you know, people who just started, you know, maybe don't see these huge moves. It happens in AYX. It happens in these names. I can remember trading back in 1999 and, and Lucent Technologies. Do you remember this one, Joel? Lucent Technologies yeah. was the darling. <laughs> I remember that one. The darling. And everybody owned it because it was a spinoff from AT&T. And it had went up so much from like $2 to like 120 They came out with an earnings warning. And they knocked the stock down 
51% in one day. 51% in one day. And you know what happened after that? The stock kept going down and almost went to zero. So can, you know, don't, don't think that, I'm not saying fast is going to zero. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying anything can happen in this market. So, you know, people are saying, do I sell? Do I sell my loss? I can't, we don't give investment advice. I can't tell you what to do. I'll just say when I lose, when I, you know, have a trade on for technical reasons and it gaps down 30% on me, I eat the loss because that's the way I protect my capital. Um, that's the way I play it. But I will tell you, there's support at 77. I think there's another 10 points of pain here, and I think it'll bounce. I don't know if it's going to bounce today. Maybe it bounces a little bit. I think it eventually tests that 80 before it goes back, back up to 100. But who knows? It's by the dip mentality. Where's the street on this? Is the street bullish on Oh, they're on probably this? all buys. Yeah, it's a great, some... great, great. Let's go check it out. Spencer, what do they look like? Hey, Greetings. Hey, and we got Mark Chicken here as well. Mark, I want to get your thoughts on Fastly. Uh, you have some thoughts on your own. Uh, you, you were saying just now that you think all the shorts got stopped out. Oh, you couldn't, nobody could possibly still be short the stock. You got margin calls from here to Detroit and I'm in Connecticut, but the bigger, there's a bigger story here. Now, I'm bullish on the market. You know that. And I think you should be buying the dips in different names and the FedEx is the lows, the NVIDIA is the Thermo Fishers of the world. There is a guru in Chicago who will go unnamed, options, former options trader. <laughs> and I watch his Twitter feed. Uh, I was a subscriber. This guy has picked more winners than Nate Silver before 2016. <laughs> right. If you read the Twitter feed on Fastly, they're, they're, it's like Jim Jones. They're blessing him. And they're all going to be buying the dips. And... I posted on there, I, I was reluctant, don't confuse brains with a bull market. But this guy has zeroed in on all, all, all the big winners. I mean, we're talking five and 10 baggers. And Fastly is one of them, recommended it at 20. These people are going to walk off the cliff with this guy when we get into a real bear market, not a 23-day bear market. And then they're going to be destroyed. That's my biggest concern with this market. It could happen in three months, six months, a year. I don't know when, but that's what you need to be telling your viewers, that there is real risk in these stocks that look like hockey sticks. And they're all, they're all pretty much the same. Spotify, Etsy, doesn't matter what they do. They look the same because there's a coterie of people like this guy in Chicago who now have unbelievable followings. Do you, do you want and to follow them into the breach. You want to show who that person is? No, that's not fair. You can go. You can Google it. <laughs> Google. I, mean, he's, I, I completely he's been agree. Dead with right. You. If I if I told you who he was, your viewers would sign up for his service, and it's not that expensive. Okay. When you well, strip away the options, he's got a stock picking service. Okay. So so your point stands that the party is going to end eventually, and when it does, these people are are in for a world of pain. Yes, because they have no other basis for owning the stock except momentum and the fact that one very smart guy has figured out how to, you know, hook on to these rocket ships. And by the way, Lucent was a really interesting um, stock to mention, Dennis. Remember who the CEO of Lucent was in that huge run-up to a fall? Carly Fiorina. So what happens? Hewlett-Packard hires her. 15 years later or 10 years later to ruin their business. 
These trends repeat over and over and over again on Wall Street. I mean, people are arguing. They say, oh, well, Lucent got bought out eventually. But yeah, you know where they got bought out? It was like five bucks right. after being 120. So, so and, and, and it went down like a dollar. So it came back up to five. So people who bought it a dollar then made some money. But the people who bought at 120 or the people who bought on that second day, the day after the 50% fall, the stock was still trading 55 bucks. Those people lost 90% of their money from that point. So those stocks can happen, and we don't know if fast. I'm not saying. I'm just saying there's precedents that don't think that they everything has to come back. It doesn't have it doesn't. to do anything. It doesn't. And by the way, we had the same story in Fastly three or four months ago. The exact same story, the same kind of reaction. It took quite a while for it to base. If you go back, I think it based in the 60 or 70 range. If you put the chart back up. Yeah, sure. Well, um, and that's where it probably bases again, I think, Mark, if it decides to come it, down. It I mean, depends we're, we're coming as far. These, depends how strong these traders are. They, they have a lot of firepower, these guys. And we've talked about that firepower. Maybe we should just go into that for a second. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I used to be like, you see these bubbles and I'd be like short in stocks. I'm like, I can't fight the Robin Hoods on this. I mean, sometimes you see irrational things like even that ears you were pointing out the other day. And it did come back in, Spencer, because they were buying the wrong stock. But, you know, yeah, and we're not saying that. all Robin Hood traders. Are, we're saying they have a lot of power. You know, there's a lot of new traders on and as a whole. When they start getting into something like that SI here or what was that S. What's the one this morning? SPI. SPI. You yeah. know, these things, SPI, you know, you get this squeeze going on and everybody gets excited. It goes from $3 to 46 It's up here again this morning. I mean, it, as a professional trader, it's sometimes difficult to fight this Robin Hood wave. Well, it doesn't pay to short these things in a, in a bull market. You know, it, oh. I, here's my tell for your listeners. FDX, and I've said it for the last three appearances. FedEx made a new high yesterday. In the middle of this three-day selling wave, the stock made a new all-time high. You've just got to love this stock. And FedEx is a tell for the market. So I wouldn't be shorting stocks as long as FedEx has this unbelievable chart position. You know, th this is a chart from heaven for a fundamentally oriented investor, because this is a great story. Old economy, new economy, and vaccine deliverer, if and when we get one. So, you know, as long as FedEx is making new highs, unless you've got a strong tolerance for pain, just look, look for buying opportunities. I just don't think shorting puts the probabilities on your side. So, all right, I'm just trying to be clear. So you're, you're looking at, short, uh, at, at buying the stocks that aren't necessarily euphoric, uh, but the ones that have long-term stories. So, like, if FedEx is, is an example of one you would buy, What's one that you, you maybe wouldn't buy? Well, I wouldn't buy Etsy on a dip. I wouldn't buy Shopify or Spotify. I just, I think they're more in the Fastly category. Okay. Etsy, Etsy's got a great business, but look at the chart. It's a hockey stick. So and you, hockey you, sticks you, have a way to come back down to earth. But, you know. Well, I mean, couldn't you argue that FedEx is a hockey stick? I mean, if you pull up a daily, it looks... No, well, one thing FedEx has though is valuation too, Mark. Like va valuation isn't crazy on FedEx. It's not trading a hundred times sales, you know. Like, right. um, I, I think you know. I hate to say this, right now valuation doesn't matter. <laughs> the markets are looking ahead past the fourth quarter numbers, uh, and they're looking to a democratic sweep based on the polls, not based on politics. And in a democratic sweep, in addition to tax increases, you're going to get big infrastructure spend. 
and you're going to get another stimulus bill. I mean, the market has shown that it can go up without another stimulus bill. And if you delve deeply into what the banks said, the banks, other than that disaster, which is called Citicorp, uh, the banks, you know, reflected a pretty decent economy. They don't want to say that. You, Jamie Dimon's not going to say things are looking better because he wants to get a stimulus bill passed. So they're all expressing caution. But I think that investors are looking ahead to the potential spend in a Biden administration. So um, right now, I don't think valuations matter that much. Uh, speaking of, uh, of the banks, I mean, what is your reaction to that? We had Morgan Stanley this morning. And I mean, they're going with the trend. It was a good report uh, across the board for pretty much everybody, I guess, with the exception of like uh, cities, cities revenue, I guess, missed and Wells's earnings missed by a hair. But uh, the market doesn't seem to really care about that. And what is your reaction to, uh, I mean, Morgan probably picked a bad day to report, but what is your reaction to, to the reaction to bank earnings? So far, it's been a sell the news earnings season. I don't know if that's going to continue. You had that four day run up uh, four days last week and Monday into the Apple announcement and the Amazon Prime Day. So the market was really ripe for a little bit of profit taking and they're using these earnings reports as an excuse. But uh, here's something to remember for when the home builders report, uh, when the semis report, when JP Morgan reported that incredible bump up in fixed income and equity trading revenue on Tuesday morning, you knew Goldman and Morgan Stanley were going to report very similarly on Wednesday and Thursday. Yep. Now, you couldn't have made a lot of money unless you sold them pre-market. I mean, Goldman was trading at, I think, 216 pre-market uh, and then pulled right back to 210. But J.P. Morgan is always a tell for the, major, for the investment banks, which always report two and three days later. So it's, I like the bank earnings. I think the bank earnings are telling you two things. The consumer is being responsible, paying down debt. So the loan reserve provisions are actually a net plus for JP Morgan. And uh, if we ever get a bump up in the long end of the curve, you know, the net interest margin is going to go up. I'm not a big fan of the banks here, yeah. except for a couple of regional banks and JP and Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. But you've got to acknowledge that the banks are reflecting the fact that the economy is not as bad as the headlines are telling you. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else on your, on your radar as far as like catalysts, any specific earnings that you're watching for the next couple of weeks? Uh, or is it just all noise to you until the election? Well, I think you've gotten some indication that the semis are going to report. You had NXPI pre-reporting very big numbers that helped the semis. I, I think it's going to be a good earning season for tech, but you may see a sell the news mentality. And, uh, you know, that, that's why my core portfolio right now, I broaden it out to five stocks. It's now FedEx, Lowe's, NVIDIA, Amazon, and for solar. I think solar is a great play on the Biden, on a Biden victory. Obviously, there's been a huge run up. Again, you've got to buy the dips. There's been a huge run up in solar. And that's, I think, so, totally based on a Biden victory and an emphasis, de-emphasis of carbon fuels. So I think there's a lot to be done. I, in my weekly market letter, where it's previously, I said, we'd have a 
tough time getting back through 3,600. I said, I think we can get to 3,650, 3,700 by year end. So I think there's enough power and momentum that built up last week that we can get there. But one other point I want to make, the Gamma gang is back. Those options buyers from July and August are back in again in the short dated tech options that expire tomorrow, on Friday rather, plus tomorrow. Uh, so that was part of the reason for the run up in some of these big tech names. There's 12.9 million open interest in the five big tech names, plus Netflix. Translate that to shares, it's, it's 1.3 billion shares. And so it's putting the dealers on the defensive. The last two days it's worked on the downside, but uh, those options traders, whether it's Robinhood traders or SoftBank are back. So Mark, you just mentioned a bunch of large cap names. Are any small caps you like? Because I, I, I see that the you know, power bar is, is bullish for, for small caps. So uh, I like the small cap home builders, Spencer. Yeah. I like MHO, which I own. Uh, I like Taylor Morrison Homes, which I own. And the stock we've been mentioning for the last three appearances, APPS made a new all-time high yesterday at yeah. 42.50. We started talking about it here at 33 just um, two weeks ago. Yeah. So, and that, that you know, that's sort of in a business like Fastly. Fastly speeds up content delivery on the internet. Um, APPS serves up ads in a much more user-friendly way. And they've just, they've caught the, uh, eye of the, the FinTwit gang, uh, especially on stock twits. They have just, this stock is being whipped around by the, the bulls like you wouldn't believe, but the trading action couldn't be better in the stock. And they report at the end of the month, the last report, the stock spiked up. Everybody's assuming a new spike. But I, I think selectively you can find small caps with bullish taken power gauge ratings. I, I'd like it if they had a theme. So home builders, um, small tech, I think, is where I'd be looking. Okay. Mark, Mark real quickly before we let you go, um, you're talking about a 3650 to 3700 target uh, by year end. Now, that, that's regardless of who wins the election, right? So, I just want that was my first question. Yeah, I'm sort yeah. of optimistic about the election when it comes to the market. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, so my second thing would be, so from where we're trading at now, you're roughly looking at a, a 200 point rally, right? Uh, we're at, we're at 3440 right now. Yeah. Let's say you're you right. come down to, come down to support at 3,400. You're talking about a 5% rally. Okay. Well, if we go down to 3,400, then it's going to be a 250, 300 point rally. What, what yeah. my question was is like, you know, on a risk reward basis, I mean, are you, if, are you stepping in too early here at, at, at 3440? Are you waiting for 3400? And then what, what would be the, the catalyst for you to say, hey, we're not going back up to new all-time highs you know, by the election, and you're even talking about 100 points beyond that. So I just want to know, you know where the risk is on the downside, and then where, where would you say that scenario is no longer valid? My risk on the downside, uh, Joel, is 3300. Um, which has been my sort of support area for quite some time on an intermediate basis. I think you want to buy the dips. I like buying dips of one and a half to three days, which okay. fits very nicely with Dennis's notion that, you know, things play out over three days, not one day. 
on very strong stocks and uh, that's worked and I'm going to keep doing it until it doesn't work. Uh, but in individual stocks, you can make obviously a lot more than 5%. So you're looking for 10 to 20%, 15, 10 to 15% in some of these names where there are no sellers left. I mean, it's one day I'd like to talk about what I call the blue sky market where you're at new all time highs. There's no natural sellers. There's no, because there's no place to, for anybody to stop themselves out or, or what Dennis said, you know, say, okay, I've finally broken even. So in these strong stocks that we're talking about, notice all the stocks, those five stocks we're talking about, um, they've all made new all-time highs. S&P is kind of headed towards the lows of the session here. We're oh, down 45 yep. handles. So, all right, Mark, thanks a lot. And yep. uh, we'll talk to you soon. The two weeks is right before the election. We'll oh, have some... boy. Don't remind me. All right. Uh, it's uh, 19 days to go, guys. Oh, great. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. Uh, we just got jobless claims. It was weaker, more than expected. Uh, 898,000 uh, jobless claims filed last week versus 825,000 estimates. So we are more than the estimate and more than last week's number as well. So just continuing to see weak economic data, point, uh, data points. I'm wondering if that's probably your reason for your, your movement here in the last couple of minutes. I wanted to sure. get that Morgan Stanley here, just pull up the chart. We can do the earnings because sure. they, they were good. And I mean, their earnings beat, their sales beat, their trading revenue is up 20% year over year. This does not even include the uh, E-Trade acquisition that just closed last week. So Morgan Stanley, I mean, they're firing here and probably picked a bad day though to report. Uh, we had precedents from Goldman yesterday. I mean, that stock didn't get any love at all. I mean, two, two big acquisitions by this company over the yeah. last few months. So man, that... I don't know how that whole integration is going to work. I know there's consolidation in the industry. I mean, this stock has, has done all right over the last, you know, since that March low. But overall, I mean, it's still kind of thrown in with the banks and the other financials. It's hard to get excited about it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, though. Morgan Stanley, you look at this chart, Joel, and then you look at Wells Fargo, and you look at Citigroup, <laughs> and you look at Bank America. A lot better looking, yep. Morgan Stanley is a lot better looking. Goldman, too. Goldman's held up a lot better than the other ones. And, you know, Morgan, you know, $28 a low in March. It's up almost 100% still from where it was in March. You look at Wells Fargo, it's lower than it was in March. So there's been a complete separation here. And I thought the Wells Fargo might bounce yesterday. There's no bounce to be had in these things. I mean, you're right here. You're sitting making new lows now. So I thought it might bounce at 24 and eh, wrong. So you got to move out and try again on a different thing. But that's the one thing about trying to, you know, call a bottom too. It's a hard thing to do. You lose, make a lot. Whenever I try to call bottoms, I lose money. So you're always better to buy the dip in strong stocks as opposed to weak ones. At least Morgan Stanley's a stronger stock. They got some support in here, 46, 47, 48. I mean, the stocks held up well. So if I was so inclined to own, bank or an institutional or you know or, or a bank you know i i still find it funny calling you know, an investment bank a bank but um morgan stanley goldman is where i would go i wouldn't be buying wells fargo bank america even though i was going to try them for trades yesterday i thought they might bounce at 24 neither of them bounce so tell me there's still dead money over there but morgan stanley chart doesn't look as bad i mean a diversion between the investment banks and the consumer banks 
Yeah, I think so. And people are just calling Morgan and Goldman banks now too, like consumer banks, but they came from the investment banking industry. And you can see a big divergence there too. And I know our guest yesterday was you know, saying the investment banks aren't going to continue to make the kind of money they were. And there's an argument there. I mean, I, I always think, like, you know, do you think about the spread and what they're making? And everything gets more competitive. So margins get squeezed on all sides. And maybe it's due for investment banking to, to get the margin squeezed there a little bit, too. I mean, you see SPACs, you see these straight, you know, the, the offerings that are coming straight to market and bypassing the underwriters. I mean, or do we continue to see more of that? That's, you know, not good news for Goldman or Morgan. But at the same time, these companies are still firing on a lot of cylinders. Uh, just to cover the rest of the earnings parade here, uh, Delta Airlines reported yesterday. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you really need the numbers, um, but not, not Delta, United, sorry. I, they're uh, all the same. They all suck. Uh, they're all the same. Uh, they're all bad. United lost almost uh, over $8 per share last quarter. Impressive. Uh, yeah. And we had Walgreens this morning as well. Uh, Walgreens is better. I mean, their EPS a dollar and two cents versus ninety six cent estimate. Sales also beat thirty four. Well, actually, sales was was pretty in line. It was a slight beat on the sales, but uh, more of a beat on the EPS. But yeah, UAL. I mean, you knew it'd be bad. It was horrible. Walgreens a little bit better. You think about Walmart. You think about Target. You think about you know the the big retail, and then you look at the Walgreens chart, and you think what have they done wrong? I mean, is Walmart and Target just eating their lunch? Because maybe that's the case. You just go to Walmart and Target, get your pharmaceuticals there too. But I'm it seems too. like these Walgreens are on every corner and they're going the way of Rite Aid. That's what it feels like. I know Rite Aid has held on and Rite Aid isn't a zero, but you know it's had some reverse splits in there. And you look at that Rite Aid monthly chart and you're like, wow, lost all my money there. How is Walgreens? I want to know in you know, chat or whoever, how is Walgreens fundamentally different than Rite Aid because otherwise I think the Walgreens is going the Rite Aid. I know CBS, I would say is best of breed. I don't like them either though, because I think you got the big, you know, the big Walmarts targets that are just eating. Their Does target sell uh Does they have a pharmacy too now? Target have a pharmacy. I don't think so. Do they? Costco does. Uh, Costco does. So Costco's target. eating their lunch. So well, Costco and Walmart eating their lunch big time. CVS also had the the Edna merger to keep that. Keep in mind. Yeah, so they got some other stuff. Yeah, they got some other stuff going on. I don't know. I, I don't know. You, again, you're buying Walgreens, though, and if you're buying it up here today, sure, the dogs have their day. They bark. But this chart is clearly in a downtrend. There's clearly a lot of overhead supply. Could it squeeze them? Could we go to 40 bucks eventually? Maybe, but this is not a story. There's no sexifying Walgreens, I don't think, any way possible. So I don't just don't see how the story gets hot. So the only thing that's going to make this thing go up is a little bit of a short squeeze. And maybe it's due for that. Maybe you're seeing a little bit of that this morning, but it's hard to really get excited about WBA. And uh, people are getting their drugs online too, right? Everywhere. Yeah. What yeah. do you need Walgreens for? I, I, I think it's right. So, and if I think it's right, and we actually have been saying this for years, but right. Aid is still around. But it was $150 in set in 2017, you know, post-reverse split. Now it's nine bucks. So if you were so inclined to buy Rite Aid three and a half years ago, you're down 95% on your money. If you were so inclined to buy Walgreens three years ago, you're only down 60% on your money. Still bad, 
but not nearly as bad. Could Walgreens eventually have to cut the dividend? You know, it's 5% dividend on that. I think so. I don't think the dividend's safe here either. So everybody can be excited and buy Walgreens here this morning and maybe squeeze them a bit. I think the trend is still not your friend with Walgreens if you're long. Yeah, I think I mean, Walgreens it's... continues to go lower over the long run. Uh, you did get a pop over $38. Uh, where are you trading at here? 36, 36. You actually, that's a, kind of a sloppy looking uh, pre-market chart. Spike up and just kind of coming down. So it looked two bucks off that pre-market high. Let's look at yesterday's range. You're not even out of yesterday's range yet. Uh, 36, oh, 3681 was the high. 3709, the two-day high. So I look at that as resistance and coming back on the downside if you feel like you want to own it. You got a pair of lows to lean on for the last two sessions right there, 35.65 and 35.70. So S&Ps came down off that number, have not made a new pre-market low as of yet. Uh, and then I also want to talk about sleep number here. We, we definitely discussed this either in their July report or in their uh, April report. But this thing really gaps up after their last few reports have all blown away the estimates. And it's, that's the case again this morning. And this thing has gapped up on the last several earnings reports. It doesn't always hold those gains, but this thing is a, ga- is a post-earnings gap. Who, who are you talking about? Sleep, sleep number. number. SNBR. And so they had earnings again uh, yesterday after the close. And same stories the last few quarters. It blew away the, the estimates on the sales and the earnings. Uh, and this thing uh, is gapping up. It's up 6%. Help me with that symbol one more time. S- SNBR. Oh, okay. Does this have a big online presence? Yes. Yes, they do. Again, you're seeing this complete separation between retail that doesn't have much of an online presence and retail that gets a lot of their sales from online. And whether it's the bubble that we're in for everything online, like it's 1998 and eventually this all comes back to roost, I don't know. But, you know, it started with RH years ago and now you got Al Brands being seen as an online retailer and you've got Bed Bath & Beyond, which I don't know why they're viewing it as an online retailer when I see these big stores in the malls. Um, But, you know, Sleep Number, viewed as an online retailer, Wayfair, anything with a big online presence and not as many physical stores is hot. And sleep number is the same thing. And the stock made a new all-time high or is making a new all-time high right now, I believe, or at least a seven or eight-year high. So I don't know why, you know, that they pick on, or maybe it is. It's just online presence. You got a big online presence, they love you. Yep. And it's so it's got a little bit of a story going. And, you know, for your Coles and Macy's and Nordstrom's, you guys got to figure out how to get out of those big leases Get out of those big stores and figure out how to get online or you're going to be in a world of trouble. Yeah. Uh, all right. I want to go to the chat here uh, just because there's a couple of stocks uh, that they were talking about. And I'm going to, I'm going to grab the charts for a second. Uh, let me do that here. Um, where's my trade station? There we go. Uh, so uh, there was a, the stock that I got brought up uh, gets brought up every day. But today they actually have news, and that's DraftKings. And we've seen this kind of thing happen before. Let me pull up DKNG here on my chart. Uh, the news this, to this morning is they announced a multi-year agreement uh, with Turner Sports uh, for NBA programming. We've seen DraftKings rally on headlines of this nature before, specifically with, with, uh, with NFL teams. Uh, this thing is prone to moving off a headline. Anytime, basically, they announce any deal – 
you know, that's liable to be a catalyst. And so that's the case again this morning on DraftKings. We weekday yesterday, but the catalyst this morning is this headline that they have a deal with Turner Sports for NBA broadcasting. That's why you're up one and a half percent. Dennis, thoughts? I'd sell the pop. <laughs> okay. Stock chart looks broken to me now. Trend is, is broken. I think this has a date with 35. So, and I know Penn Gaming could follow suit. Yesterday, if you were selling the pop and Penn Gaming, you're rewarded immediately too. It's already back down. I'm still long Penn. Yeah. I like the Penn because the valuation isn't nuts like it is with DraftKings. But right now, this stuff is out of favor. Eventually, it'll come back into favor. But right now, the DraftKings story, ever since the offering, we've seen this story before. They get an offering, and sometimes they bounce them off of it. But when they don't, now you have ARBs that are in there that are, like, you know, holding on and hoping it comes back. You have so many people caught in this thing now. There's so much overhead supply now. I think it's got a date with 35 eventually. And I would be a buyer at 35. But you're at 48. Yeah, I it's, think I'd it's be a long ways off. away. It's a long, ways, long ways away. I think that's my opinion. But I think it's got a date with 35 eventually. All right. Uh, at what point did you buy Neo yesterday? I know you did. I'm still in Neo. Um, okay. It's up here again. It's in rocket ship mode. Yeah. I mean, we got a day that every tech stock, like here, here we talk about Neo. I look at my screen and I have all the big S and P stocks on here. Yep. I, I, it's not a lot of days like this. I do not have one major S and P component in the green. They are 100% red. The Johnson and Johnson, the Procter and Gamble, the Coke, the Pepsi, like defensive stocks are down. Utilities, Duke Energy, you know, it, it's across the board. You don't see a lot of days like this where you have every single stock red. There is no place to hide. And then you look at Neo and you're like, wow, <laughs> how is it up today? Yeah. So I have no idea how it's trading higher. I am long Neo. The chart's going up. The thing's at all time highs. The EV story's intact. I'm, you know, the only reason I'm long it because I like the technicals back when it's in consolidation station in 18. I like the technicals. I said it a few, you know, days ago that I liked it. You know, we had to wait a long time. It needed a catalyst. Um, this is what this uh, the stock's in favor right now. It eventually comes out of favor, but as of this point right now, I mean, it's making new all-time highs. I don't have a reason to sell it. Right, and that's what we talked about, right? Fate, uh, you know, fading rallies uh, and and buying dips, except when stocks are at all-time highs like this, right? Uh, it, in, in that case, the trend is your friend. And if, if I pull up a daily here, the trend is very obvious. Oops, that's a week. Oh, that's a daily the trend is very obviously your friend, right? So it, it pays to go with the trend on a stock. like And, and everything. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the lesson. This is this market. It's not even this market in the last five years. It's this market forever. Um, the trend is just the, the number one thing. That's the only reason I use technicals. I got the 90 day up there. And if I don't own the stock, I want to know if it's trending up or down. Because if it's trending up, I want to be buying dips. If it's trending down, I want to be selling rips. So I'm, I'm more inclined to short a stock that is trending down. And I'm more inclined to buy a stock that is trending up. Once trend breaks, it's a completely different animal. You get overhead supply, you get a lot of issues. You know, So some of these stories, which you know are broken here this morning like Fastly, could get hot again, but from my experience, they don't get hot the next day. Yeah. So I think you got time and fastly. That's why in DraftKings, the same thing. I mean, if you've had to be buying DraftKings, and we warned you at 60 when we knew the offering was out there, and then they priced it at 52, 
And then it couldn't hold 52 where the old offering price was. It didn't bounce off that. And then it went down, you know, now it's a 47. Now it gets a little lift on a contract. Those lifts have people all over them saying, get me out, get me out, give me my money back. Um, so every time it runs into a little bit of a pop, it, it, it runs into more sellers. And you can't look and say, okay, well, there's value here. There's no value in any of this crap. I mean, it's just all about, you know, if, is it hot or not? Yeah. And right now it's not. So value investors don't touch any of this stuff. I mean, you have value investors on stocks like AT&T and Verizon. A, oh, oh, I was, I've been meaning to ask Dennis, can someone, maybe someone in the chat, can somebody paint me like what is the bullish picture for AT&T? Because I really don't know. Like what? Uh, what I'm bearish. No, I know. I, but like, what reason is there? What reason is there under the sun to be bullish AT&T right now? Every headline I see is bad. They're trying to spin off Dish. It's not working. They're thinking about you know uh, cuts for the Warner Media division. They're trying to you know move the headquarters, lower costs. Nothing I see about them is good. They're not. They weren't involved in the five G thing with Apple. That was Verizon. I mean, I haven't seen a good headline about AT&T, and I don't even know how long. I think AT&T is going like General Electric. I think it's a company that just is not figuring it out. They have no growth. They have a hell of a dividend. But now they have businesses that are in secular decline. And I, I had AT&T in my long-term portfolio for a decade. A long time. I sold it two years ago. So I've been way early on this trade. I was way early because I sold it down like $32. And I watched the thing go to $37, 38 And I could not understand why the stock was going up. Well, it's starting, you know, things don't play out. But when you just look at it, 7.5% dividend. I do not believe the AT&T dividend is safe. I think eventually they're going to cut this. I do not believe in the story. There is no growth. They have a bunch of declining assets. Where is the story in AT&T? And they're not even about story because AT&T needs to be looked at, you know, is the dividend safe? Because if it is, 7.5% dividend in a 0% environment is awesome. Can they sustain that dividend? But look at the businesses. Where are they grabbing? You know, is it wireless? Is that really the business? I mean, think about where phones are going. They're going to get cheaper. So those margins are going to get squeezed there. DirecTV is an absolute mess. Nobody's buying that. They've paid the top for it. It was an absolutely brutal purchase. We talked about it on the show that day. We were actually doing the show back in 2014. And we talked about it that day. What the hell are they buying this for? And they were paying a premium for it. So, and they, and they wanted it they were trying and they paid up for it and, you know, they're getting punished for it because they didn't look, you know, and we, we could see streaming. Netflix was already out then. You could see like people, there was a lot, oh, did you check out this Netflix? It was already, there was tells there for them. And then they pay up the very top on a satellite TV provider yeah, when everybody's yeah. eventually cutting the cord. I mean, this company is everything wrong. So I, I, I think the stock goes much lower. I think you have people in there that think the 7.5% dividend is safe. I would be a seller of every rally in AT&T. I already did. I was early on it. I sold at 32. The thing went to 38. I was kicking myself. Now it's 27. I was in it for the dividend for years. I don't think the 7.5% dividend. This is just my opinion. I don't think the 7.5% dividend is safe. I think the stock is eventually under $15. I think it's going to look like at the GE chart eventually. That's my thoughts on AT&T. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But in the next three to five years, AT&T is going to be in a lot of trouble. But this is an unusual move here over the, like that, a two buck move basically straight down with one day of holding out. I'm looking at the AT&T here. In a bull uh, market. Yeah, in a bull market. No, you, you, you've been banging on the door on this one for a while, though, Triple D. I'll, I'll give you credit I hate AT- that but 
You have to give me hate, though. It was for a year. I was a year early on this. That activist. Like, Who's that guy that had all those That's who it ideas? was. The activist was punishing me because yeah. I sold this thing. I sold it, like, right before the big move up. You can see, like, in 2018, I sold it. And I think I sold, like, $32, and it went down. It did go down, like, 26 or 27 But then it went up, and it had that ridiculous move back up to 40 And I was like, why are people buying AT&T? Because an activist is going to turn this company around? I could not understand the 2019 move. It and was, I wish uh, I would have been shorting it, but who, who I was, uh Who was that joker? It, it, it was Paul Singer from Elliot. I definitely wouldn't call them a joker. Definitely they, not a joker. They, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Paul. Paul no, Singer, no, no, but I'm just saying he's, he, he, they Paul do a lot of, of good things. Are they still in it, Spencer? Paul or are Singer, they thrown in the towel here? He gets what he wants. Uh, I think they're, they're, they're out. Uh, I, I remember they reached a deal last year. I don't remember when. Um, but I think that's not I, – I, I think Elliot Management has moved on to, to Twitter. Uh, I don't think they're still futzing with it. So, um, yeah. And, I mean, what about Dish? You know, people are talking about Dish. It's got to be the same thing. I mean, this is the direct play oh, they, against they're... streaming. This is against streaming, Dish Network. If you don't believe in streaming, buy Dish. I believe in streaming. I will not buy Dish. I don't think anybody's buying Dish. There was rumors we were get bought out. Who in the hell is going to buy Dish Network after they watch what happened to AT&T? Buying DirecTV. I, I don't see why I want to own Dish Network either. So I think Dish Network, when we look at it, the only reason I think it goes up is because it squeezes the shorts. But I think Dish Network, you know, yes, it's oversold here. It went from 36 to 28. You know, maybe it bounced up to 32. But if it bounces up, I would sell it. I would sell it tomorrow. I would just sell it. I would well, not want actually, Dish Network in my portfolio either. There's actually a headline this morning from the New York Post. AT&T thought, hey, maybe we could you know, merge uh, DirecTV with Dish. And, and <laughs> Why don't they go buy Dish? And they'll do the same dumb thing twice because they're trying they're to They're going to take such a haircut. If they do that, if they go and decide to go buy Dish or something, just let's, let's go buy Dish yeah, and we'll, we'll have the synergies and we'll get, cut all the costs and that'll help. That's like, you know, when you, when, when, you know, just throwing bad money or good money at bad money and just cut the direct TV then nobody buying it, cut your losses and move on. That's what you got to do sometimes and start looking at streaming, like start looking, you know, and changing, you know, because I'm telling you, we're all paying a hundred bucks a month for our cell phone bills in five years. You will not be paying a hundred dollars a month for your cell phone bill. You will be paying significantly less. The competition's already there, but it's coming hard. So I think that these businesses are going to get squeezed. So the, the rest of the headline from the New York Post was that the DOJ says, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to merge DS with DirecTV. So that's off the table for now, according to the New York Post. But uh, DOJ is saving AT&T a lot of money <laughs> in this case. Yeah. All right. I want to go save them from themselves because they can't think. The management in there just cannot think. When is the, when do we fire? Have we fired AT&T CEO yet? Yeah, the CEO's been there for like less than a year. Yeah, well, okay. Well, we may need to fire just, this one too. He just got a new one. Give there, may a be no, there may be no CEO that can turn AT&T around. That might be. It's like General Electric. Who's turning GE around? Yeah, really? what about GE? Really? Uh, what about they? Mm, they got that pop off the Goldman, uh, the Goldman buy recommendation. Hold it in there. That, that really Hold it in a, there. Yeah. It's, it could squeeze, but Hold it you up, could wow. go eight, nine bucks on a squeeze. Sure, it could do anything, but you really want to own this one? You want to own G? You're going to go sell your Tesla and buy G? 
<laughs> what about Tesla? It, it tried to break out yesterday. I don't know. It, it's kind of a it's kind of a tough breakout for this. It uh, it looked good. Maybe Mister Market is hurting it a little oh, yeah. bit today. All victim of the market, fastly. Yep. Right back down. It was weird. I was watching it yesterday, and I'm like, this should really go. This should really go to 470, and it, this should really go, and it it didn't. So I don't know. That area still holds again, and market factors working on that. S and P's just uh. Hold it on here. Um, off uh, four points off the low of the session. Not a not a super lot of interest here to bring us off the low here. We still have uh, what thirty five minutes before the open. Yeah, All right, I want to go back to the chat here with some more tickers. Uh, sure. Zoom, Zoom. They had their uh, their Zoomtopia day yesterday. Uh, didn't seem to make what the hell of Zoomtopia. Uh, it's it's the it's you know their you know promotional day. Why play. didn't we know about this? Uh, I did know about it. I forgot. Oh, because look at what we were trying to figure out. Why the hell was this breaking out going 500 to 520? Because it had some event. I, yeah. That was a pre-event trade. Well, the reason, Come on, Spencer. I, I didn't even know. I never heard of Zoomtopia. So uh, the reason I knew is because, like, obviously I, I get their emails because we use Zoom and I get their marketing stuff and I it just goes into my trash. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think I just saw it. And then that just, was a crazy it, move the yeah, day before uh, Zoomtopia. Yeah. Anyway, you've got, you know, the analysts, it was like, it's, you know, part, uh, you know, part analyst day, uh, part product launch day. And you've got some analysts chiming in this morning, raising their price targets after that. But uh, thoughts on Zoom, guys? Sounds like a movie, Zoomtopia or something like that. It's Zootopia you're thinking of. I think that is a movie. Oh, really? Thank you. Thank you, Triple D. You go. You go first. Uh, I got this wrong three days ago because I didn't know about Zootopia. I was four four ninety five and I was bearish, and now it's well, it's back to there. But I had that big move up to five twenty or whatever. Yeah, I think uh, I think you you expanded the top of the trading range just a little bit there when that you had that day when you got up to five twenty. I actually put a nice double top in there for you pattern traders five twenty nice and five nineteen eighty. Um, I think you work your way down, you know, towards the bottom of the training range here, and that's more 475 or 480. Not not buying it here at 503, thinking I'm going to be flipping it out at that double top 518, 519. I think eventually gets fast lead. I think eventually you see Zoom fall 30% in a day. I don't know when, but eventually, you know, there's going to be something said that's like, whoa, this growth isn't there because it's trading for perfect. It's trading for beyond perfection. And yeah, valuation doesn't matter until it does. Right now, growth investors are finding out, whoa, hey, fastly, valuation might matter a little bit. Because you know what? There's no value investors here. Like I always talk about the gap. And you have two types of investors out there. And you have some people have a mix of it. But you know, you get the spectrum. You have the value investor and you have the growth investor. The value investor doesn't touch any of this crap. The growth investor doesn't touch any of the value stuff. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum. So what happens is when you have a stock like Fastly and the growth investors and mobile guys are all in, they need to get out and sell to somebody. Well, they're not selling to the value guys because the value guys don't move. They're over here. So they're trying to find somebody in the middle to sell to if they're trying to get out of it because they're Momo guys and the Momo has gone. It's a no-no now. And that's why you see these big falls in these Momo stocks. Momo no-no. So... It, but you have, you know, obviously value investors on certain stocks, like a, a stock like Oracle is a great example. You're not going to see Oracle fall in 30% one day because it's trading like 10 or 10 times earnings. 
So Oracle, you know, even though it's TikTok and even though it's, it's only down 0.75%, it's not going to fall like that because it's not a growth stock. So, you know, there's a value investors that will always come in. So even if Oracle gets Momo, you still have value guys below to hit cushion the blow. When these Momo stocks go to no-no stocks, that's when, you know, it can really get ugly and you see these huge falls. Zoom, there's no value investor going to look at that thing, anything above a hundred bucks. So I'm not saying it's going to a hundred dollars because it's still, you know, got the story and the story is intact and who knows when the party ends, but it's a hot potato. Eventually this party ends. And that's why I said, I can safely say two years from now, I'm confident in saying, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to be right, but I'm confident giving my opinion that I believe Zoom is significantly lower two years from now, because I believe by that time, COVID's, you know, obviously under control, unless we're going zombie apocalypse style, you know, the COVID's going to come back. I, I think it's going to be under control within two years. And I think this, all this money is crowded into and trading. What's the market cap on Zoom? Oh, I don't know. I, it's a hundred. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Look it up. It, it's crazy. Crazy. Uh, crazy. 150 billion. Give or take? It's worth 150 take, billion dollars. They do an online webinars. They're awesome. We use it every day. I love the product. It's not worth $150 billion. It's probably not really worth even $15 billion. Yeah. <laughs> it could be, it could be, uh, it could be uh, 10 times more than what you really should be paying for this if this was in the real world. But it's not in the real world. It's in this fantasy land. I mean, is, is, is Zoom going to be one of the most valuable companies in the world eventually? Because that's where you're taking it to right now. So if you're coming in buying Zoom, you need to understand that valuation, you can say it doesn't matter, but at a certain point, it will matter. They all learn the hard way. It doesn't matter until it does. Write that down. Valuation doesn't matter until it does because it matters for every stock one day. And the day it matters is when the growth starts to slow. So when the growth is going, the Momo guys are going, you can trade it. You don't have to worry about valuation. But one day, you'll have to worry about valuation. You can trade anything. But if you're putting Zoom in your long-term portfolio at a market cap of $144 billion, I believe you lose a lot of money five years from now. And I believe you lose a lot of money two years from now. I don't know where the party ends. And I would have thought the party would have ended a long time ago. But, you know, these parties can go on for a long time. Yeah. I think, you know, Zoom, it, it's tough. It's a tough all right. Uh, I, I want to bring on our, our next guest and I'm going to have Jason Raznik on and he's here actually in front of a fancy screen or studio looks like, but uh, our, our next guest here is Yoni Asia. He is the founder and CEO of eToro. Yoni, I, I think, do you have any opinions on this conversation about Zoom? I think you might. <laughs> um, I have opinions on everything, <laughs> um, but, but we, we're definitely seeing some irrational exuberance uh, in the market. Uh, we're seeing it uh, very straightforward in eToro. We see retail investors flocking from all around the world, from 100 different countries, uh, trading every day, buying every day. The stocks uh, that are, are, let's say, the top day picks. Uh, so every day we see a spike in some stock that has done 10%. Um, and, and I'm still very much passionate about the, the dinner I had with Warren Buffett and his view on, on value investing. So I just relate to the point of, you know, also looking at fundamentals and sometimes how retail investors break from those fundamentals. Yoni. But we are are using Zoom here. So so that's the point for Zoom. Exactly. Yes, we are using Zoom. And Zoom has almost risen as much as eToro. I mean, I remember eToro 2015, 2016. 
2018, you had, you know, 10 million uh, tra social traders. Now, for those of you who don't know Yoni and eToro, eToro is the behemoth overseas, the behemoth. I mean, what year did we start, you start the company? Uh, we started eToro at, uh, to, in 2007 uh, with a vision of opening the global markets for everyone to trade and invest in a simple and transparent way. So this is something we're, uh, you know, we've believed in for a very long period of time that our generation, the generation Y, really requires a different user experience to trade the global market. Yeah, I remember when you launched, there was a company called Currency, which is no longer around, but like you were overseas, you had the social trading, the copy trading, and you know, I own Zoom stock, so it's been great, but the eToro rise has been meteoric. I mean, you are probably in the top three of, no, I, I don't know, of the highest growth financial executive. I mean, I know Robin gets a lot of play here, but like on an international level, I mean, do you have to have security around you whenever you walk around Israel or wherever? No, no, I'm, I'm good. It's very, very safe in Israel. You're not like the Bruce Springsteen. Like, I don't know. Kids aren't coming up to you. <laughs> I need an autograph, Yoni. No, it's not that. Okay. Um, so the, but, uh, but the thing I want, we want to get to is the U.S. You're, you're going to be doing more in the U.S., correct? Like tell, us about, tell us about Valium. Yes, definitely. So we launched in the U.S. our uh, crypto-only platform for uh, now. We recently got uh, approved as a member of FINRA to launch uh, commission-free stock trading in the U.S. on our platform. Uh, so we'll have our social trading platform uh, offering both crypto assets as well as uh, traditional capital market stocks. Um, we've been doing this for a long period of time outside the U.S. Uh, we have now 15 and a half million registered users to our social network who can trade stocks, commodities, indices, currencies, and cryptocurrencies. And everybody can see, follow, and automatically copy top traders from all around the world. Uh, it's been a huge ride, uh, uh, you know, outside the U.S., in Europe, uh, in Asia, in Latin America. And we're very excited about uh, coming to the U.S. and expanding our services in the U.S. as well. And is, it, is it hard in the U.S. because equities and regulation? It's, it's, I don't think it's a matter of hard versus easy. We, we've originally focused uh, on Europe. Uh, then after our D round, we started focusing uh, in Asia uh, and we sort of uh, waited with the best for last. So uh, we're just now sort of uh, gearing up in the US. We think there's a, a very big market opportunity. We've seen a rise of about, so we're now about a thousand employees globally. We've seen about 10x growth uh, in revenues and funded accounts uh, uh, in all of the different KPIs in eToro um, over the last uh, three, four years. And we're definitely excited about uh, uh, the potential growth for eToro in the U.S. Well, I remember in 2018, you had 10,000 social, 10 million, sorry, 10 million social traders. Where are you at now at that number? Well, we're at 15 and a half million registered users. Roughly, I think we added this year alone about three and a half million users. I mean, do you ever, do you ever sit back and like pinch yourself, man? Like, I, I don't know what company you were doing before this, but do you ever like sit back and like, I know you had this dream when you started it, but did you ever sit back and, you know, like, I mean, I met you through Howard Lindzen right when you started the company and I remember meeting you there and like, it is what it is today. Do you ever like pinch yourself or, you know, is this... Something that you always I, I, happen. I, I think it's a part of, of being an entrepreneur. You always want more. 
so so you know when we're looking at it now we we, we want to get to you know to the 30 million registered users 100 million registered users especially because it's so apparent right now the global opportunity of a digital investment platform which offers people all around the world to trade and invest to collaborate together i think you know we're this this year has been amazing for eToro um, and, and I think for a lot of companies in, in the retail investment space, because we really see an awakening of an entire generation to the stock market, very similar to when I fell in love in capital markets. So I fell in love in capital markets when I was about you know, 13, 14, starting the dot-com bubble, when everything sort of, you know, when, when things a bit disconnect from value investing, disconnect from reality is when you get a lot of people coming in excited about the markets, learning about the markets. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing right now all around the world. People are suddenly looking at the global markets a lot at U.S. stocks. So a big part of our, uh, of our USP overseas in addition, in addition to the fact that you can collaborate and communicate with millions of users and see their portfolios is the fact that we're offering, we're the only global broker-dealer offering commission-free stock trading uh, in a hundred different countries. And we've just seen customers from ev any country you can imagine who just want to invest uh, uh, you know, in, in these hot companies, whether it's Tesla or Neo or Zoom or Beyond Meat. And every time there's you know, fluctuations in the market, when there's a peak, there's hype around these stocks, we suddenly see really customers from a hundred different countries coming in the same day to buy that stock. Yoni, I, I think eToro uh, qualifies as, as one of those those companies that's an overnight success. That's those years in the making, right? Because I didn't even realize this, but eToro was founded all the way in like 2006. You guys have been around, but one of the things that's really helped you is you're really early to the crypto trade. You're really early to crypto. Uh, talk about that. What did you see in crypto very early on? And like you know, nine years ago, eight years ago, what did you see in crypto? And tell us about sort of how, how that sort of laid the foundation for eToro. So when we started eToro, uh, we sort of connected, you know, I'm a computer scientist and we started hooking up to all of the different banks to do all of the trades that we do as eToro because people trade with us, we trade with the biggest banks. And I realized back in 2008 was actually amazing experience as a FinTech entrepreneur looking at the global financial crisis. I suddenly realized, wow, you, you suddenly can't trust the entire financial system because you really don't know where the funds are when they're in transit. And you suddenly can't trust dollars in a bank because you're afraid that that bank disappears the next day. So I had to deal as a fintech entrepreneur in where are the funds of our customers? How do we move the funds? How do we make sure every day where, where they are? Because I had a very smart investors around the table telling me, listen, banks, now can disappear. And on the other hand, it was an amazing year for eToro, 2008 and 2009, because when that volatility hit the market, the fear hit, hit, actually hit the market, more people all around the world actually wanted to trade. Um, and when I saw Bitcoin the first time in 2010, and I made a couple of transactions on the Bitcoin protocol, I immediately fell in love in the fact that everything settles, reconciles, and clears in real time. And I know that's a bit of a sort of a niche thing, 
because maybe only people within the financial system sort of see the issues of the T plus one and T plus two. Everybody thinks that the system works real time, but really, the, especially by the way, the global one, if you try and send money overseas, if you try and move stocks from one broker to another overseas, you know, it's a complex system that is all broken. Uh, and I know that because we're working with all of the big participants in the system. So when I saw my first Bitcoin transactions, I always say this was very similar to when I connected the internet probably the first time in, in 95. It was like an aha moment saying, wow, you can actually move money online in real time globally. And I, and I fell in love uh, with the technology. Uh, we started buying Bitcoin. Uh, to eToro. Uh, so actually, sort of, I, I told my board, listen, we have to experiment with this technology. Back in 2011, we bought about $50,000 worth of Bitcoin at $5 roughly. Uh, eventually, that got to $50 million, then got down a bit. But what it enabled us is really to understand custody of crypto assets, trading crypto assets, much, much before any other traditional broker. And again, it's very different from the native crypto companies. We came from a brokerage background, from trading in stocks, in currencies, commodities, indices, and then went into crypto and took a view that crypto is an asset just like a stock um, and just like every other asset. So we were the first broker in Europe offering uh, uh, our users to buy cryptocurrencies and we started late 2013. And then for a while, I was this Bitcoin zealous telling everybody in my management, in my board, listen, this is the big thing. This really is going to happen. And then Mount Gox happened and Bitcoin fell from $1,200 to $200. We had only about 2% of our users trading Bitcoin for about three plus years. And then 2017 came along. Um, and when we saw sort of the rise in Bitcoin, we we're also very fast in adding other assets. So we added Ethereum, I think it was April 2017, because we had the relationship with, a, a, you know, Ethereum guys. Vitalik used to work with us on, on something called Colored Coins back in 2012, 13, because we wanted to tokenize dollars and euros on top of the Bitcoin network back, back then prematurely. So we relatively fast offered Ethereum and, went and, and saw just customers going wild when it went from $8 to $400 to $1,400. And then we saw the same with XRP. I think we added it in five or 10 cents per XRP. We saw it go up to $3. So in 2017, we, we went from opening about 200 new funded accounts a day to the peak of 2017, opening 20,000 new funded accounts in one day. A day? Now, oh, a day. So that went like, we went 100x. We had to hire like crazy. We had to put like glue on the walls. They were breaking apart from the craziness of growing 100x uh, uh, in a you know, very short period of time. But it, was, it was exciting because it, it really prepared us to what we saw this year. So we, we always say like there's two pivotal moments that we've seen. We saw the crypto rally yep. and now we're seeing the Corona rally. It's mind blowing how 2020 really awakened a whole new generation to understand that you can invest in the markets, that you can make 
money in the market. Um, and again, it always surprises me. Like it's something that I, I should already know after being in capital markets for the past 25 years. Uh, but it's amazing how, you know, as you trade and invest, you look at the market, sometimes you become a bit fearful. And then there's these times when you suddenly remember, wow, just people investing in the market, capital markets simply work. I'm not quoting you again, Warren Buffett. Capital markets work. Just invest in things you understand and you believe in and invest for a long period of time. No, absolutely. And like, I'm, we only have a couple more minutes and I'm like, I could go forever because we have like three things we have to hit on and then Spencer wants to finish up with the US. So like three things, we'll do real quick on this. When you bought the Bitcoin and you are one of the foremost guys in the crypto, I mean, how are you talking about it all the time with you in crypto? When you did it $50,000 in that crypto thing, you know, you needed to test out the custody and went to 50 million. Did you use some of that money like for funding the company? Like, was that one of the best trades you ever made? So we didn't really use the, the money to fund the company. I actually uh, really resisted to selling the crypto assets along the way, but it, it actually did help us fuel our growth in 2017 and 18. Because what happened at some point, it was very hard. We had days where we had suddenly like $200 million coming in to buy Bitcoin, uh, but all of the different exchanges weren't able to actually uh, facilitate that. There's risk management around okay. enabling people, transferring funds, etc. So we used our balance sheet to enable our users to actually buy Bitcoin and buy Ether directly from us. And then we went into the different exchanges, into various OTC places to buy. Okay. And I'm getting, Yoni, I'm getting asked by like 200 people right now. Are you still bullish on Bitcoin and Ethereum? Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm bullish around crypto markets. I think the long-term macro view of both BTC and ETH are, are very good. Uh, again, you should be, you know, you should put it as part of, of an asset allocation. So I very much believe it should be a part of your portfolio because I'm also a very big believer in stocks. So, but I definitely think one to 5% of your portfolio uh, should be allocated to cryptocurrency. At least 50% of your cryptocurrency portfolio should be Bitcoin. We're going to see zero interest rates stay with us for a while now. I've been saying this since 2008. I've been saying we're going to see Japan across the Western world and rates dropping to zero or negative. Zero rate. Mortgage company. Yeah, zero. I started a brokerage company, which is not bad, apparently. Um, so because this is very good for stocks. So yeah. if you think about it, right, things right. that generate value. Stocks generate value. And that's why I think, again, stocks versus crypto, they both have a valid, very valid point. Uh, and stocks that generate value, that generate cash, even if the entire world will move from dollars to Bitcoin, you, you're still going to drink Coca-Cola. You're still going to go to McDonald's. You're still going to pay a subscription to Disney Plus or to Netflix, even if it's in Bitcoin. So I think both are very valuable, should be a part of the portfolio. Money is uh, being inflated. It's going to lose more and more of its value, whether it's the dollars or the euros or the pounds. Yep. Currencies being devaluated by governments by printing more money. Yep, yep. And um, you're right. This, this whole corona thing, we've never seen so much demand for our news and reading the news. And going to that part, I'm asking this one thing. You're going to tell us a story because people keep asking in the room. And then Spencer's going to finish on the U.S. Your Warren Buffett lunch. I remember one of your friends 
you know, we just give them the story and a couple, maybe a one or two things you learn from it. I just don't want you, I don't know if you have to go to another meeting, but I think we're a couple minutes behind. And then uh, for me, yeah. So, so, so Jason's son, uh, a founder of Tron, invited me for uh, the dinner, uh, originally lunch, eventually dinner uh, with Warren Buffett. Uh, for me, a life-changing event because I've devoted my life to capital markets, to opening the global markets, to basically telling people, listen, capital markets work. We're building a, a better platform, an easier platform to invest in the markets, to see what other people are doing. But then you always hear the naysayers say, say, sort of asking the same question, really, do all retail investors need to be in the markets? Are you telling people it's easy to make money in the markets? And then I'm sitting at dinner with a person who generated the most amount of money in capital markets in the history of capital markets. And he tells me this very straightforward. He says, listen, capital markets work. I asked, I asked him this question. If I give you money now and you look at the next 30 to 50 years, would you make at least the same double digit returns you made in the past 50 years? And he tells me I'd probably make more because I know more. Capital markets work. If you understand how capital markets work, if you invest in companies you believe in, if uh, uh, you analyze the financial results of these companies and understand their moat, you can and will generate double digit returns in the next 30 to 50 years. And, and, and the reason for me this was like an aha moment until that dinner, it was hard for me as an entrepreneur in capital markets to actually say that out loud. But when you hear the Oracle from Omaha telling you that at a dinner, you're like, hey, if he says that and he knows that it's fine for me to say it as well. I think people should invest in capital markets. They should understand the risks of what they're doing. They should invest in companies that they believe in. They can learn on their own. And we went on, we hired a couple of consultants in value investing. Uh, I, met a, 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 I educated myself about it as well. And now we have thousands and thousands of popular investors on eToro being copied uh, by hundreds of thousands of others. Uh, and some of them actually have the stickers that value investor on eToro. So you can actually understand who are people who are following the sort of guidance uh, of the Oracle of Omaha around value investing. Got it. Uh, okay. And then Yoni, just last one here. When are you expanding into the U.S.? Is that on the radar for next year? Well, we're already in the U.S. Uh, people can trade cryptocurrencies. I think it's 46 states now on eToro. Uh, so you can uh, trade 15 of the top cryptocurrencies, which represent 90% of the market cap and volume. You can copy top traders on the platform who generate significant returns and beat the crypto indices. Uh, now uh, we're going to launch commission-free stock trading in addition into our offering in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, next year in 2021, and will enable uh, customers in the U.S. to manage their crypto portfolios as, alongside their stock portfolios and copy top traders uh, uh, trading both crypto and stock markets. All right, Yoni Asia is the founder and CEO of eToro, definitely one of the better stories we've ever, ever had uh, on our show. Yoni, thanks a lot for the time. Go Yoni, man. Go Yoni. Like, Thank you very much. I wish we could have bought a stock in Yoni, but go Yoni. All right. Very happy to join you guys uh, uh, all the time. So just let me know when. All right. Thank man. you very okay. much. All right. Uh, talk to you later. Jason, you have to run too because in a few minutes you have to deliver opening remarks at our next uh, Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference. I've, I've put the link in the chat several times, but I'll do it again today. What are you doing today? Because you're also doing like a 
Aquino with Al Harrington. Is that right? No, no. Yeah. So Al Harrington's on, but like the, I'm kicking it off with Bor- with Boris Jordan, who's Care Relief's chairman. Okay. Care Relief is the biggest cannabis company out there. The stock's been doing great. Yeah. I'm long. I'm long it. <laughs> my my sources have been buying it, and I'm and I talked to the chairman a couple of days ago. If I was you, I would be getting in this stock. I don't own it, but I yeah. I own I own TRSSF. TR- I own too. <laughs> oh, you do? What what made you buy that one? Uh, I, I, bought, I, I bought like four or five of them. Back, okay, back. so I, I bought I bought Terrasen when he was on our show. I didn't buy it before. I don't front run. I oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, not Terrasen. I, I thought you said truly. Okay, so I bought I, didn't, I don't I bought Terrasen at two eighty five. It's at five eighty. He was on the Cannabis Hour, and I bought it. And today we have like twenty five CEOs of public companies in the cannabis space. If you go to bzcannabis.com, or I'll, I'll I know Spencer put a link in there, but let me just give one more link for um fun spencer will you put this in there just do this one um for a second but this is so i'm kicking it off with boris jordan who is you know he's on cnbc a lot he's and he's one of the most successful um guys in the space it's a it's a huge get for us to have him on um and here at least one you should look at i'm telling you i you guys i like the if new jersey gets approval in the next, they will. In, in this election, if it, if it goes through, that means New York, Pennsylvania, the market is going to explode. You know, in fact, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm doing right now, guys? I, I know it's pre-market, but I'm going to open up my account and I'm going to buy some care relief. Okay? So, okay. I'm on the line for that. You guys are going to hear that. I'm on the line. I'm, like, Look, I, I, I've been talking this uh, this trade up, this trade being the U- United States multi-state operator trade. I, I, I own like four of them. Care relief is one of them. Uh, they're going to be at the conference today. Uh, Why have you been talking up? Why do you like it though? Uh, because unlike the the Canadian operators, the U.S. companies actually have market caps and valuations that like make sense, uh, wow. and also they're they're in the U.S. right. So as as soon as the handcuffs come off, as soon as we get the federal legalization, it's it, it, it's blast off. And so I'm not even looking. I'm long. I'm not even looking at them. I don't even know where they are, but I'm long. Uh, I own. I've, I mentioned this before. I'm I'm long. Cureleaf, Cresco, Trueleaf. Uh, and green thumb. Those are the four I think that I own. Yeah, and I'm not long, but I'm trying to get long as we speak. The ask is 8.59. I'm gonna put a the bids 8.50. I'm gonna go 8.54. Okay. See what happens? But yeah, so you guys, if you're around, you should listen. And I will be on the show tomorrow. And again, if you don't get your shirts, you know, email me and Jason at Benzinga. You know, tell Fidelity whoever to get us. But uh, great stuff. And we have some cool surprises coming for you guys in the next couple of weeks. Um, we do. And um, and just hang in there. And Spencer, thanks for that stock tip. I'm going to take your thing. I'm staying in Terrasend. Um, and yeah, tune in. I, I, I just want to give some highlights of who's going to be at the conference today. Dara Torres, if you're a, a Olympic sports fan, you remember her. She's a gold medal uh, Olympic swimmer. She'll be there. Uh, representatives from, uh, 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 as I mentioned, Cresco, uh, Canopy Growth will have people there. Their, their, their head of government relations will be there. So a lot of people from the public market side of cannabis will be at this conference today. So check it out. Jason, I'll let you go because I know you got to do your thing. So thanks a lot for joining me. That'll be a wrap for us on pre Are you, you going to run the show? Are you going to run it uh, there? Are you going to take care of everything in the office? You're in the office? I, sure. I, I will run the, I'll run the office today. Do not worry about the office. I, I will take it. I don't know where you are, but wherever you are. Hey, I can't, you can't pre-market, you can't pre-market trade. I'm care leave, I guess, but. So. Uh, well, it's OTC, so yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if OTC, if after average trading exists for OTC uh, securities. But in any case, 
Uh, that'll be a wrap for us. Please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. We'll be back tomorrow morning uh, for Jason Rasnick, for all of our guests, Yoni Asia, uh, Mark Chaikin, Joel Dennis, I'm Spencer. Uh, everyone have a good rest of your day. We'll be back with you at 3.40 p.m. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.